Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Now, do pick up a Bible, and um, we're going to turn to John's Gospel. Uh, if you turn to page 1068, uh, we're going to have our reading, and Simon's going to come and uh, preach. Uh, page 1068, our readings from John, and Naomi is going to read that for us. Naomi, thank you. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool where the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Naomi, thank you so much. Morning, everyone. For those who haven't met me, I'm Simon, um, along with Ed, one of the, the vicars here at St. Michael's. I've got a little handout to go around. Can I pass those to you? Is that all right? Thank you. Um, we are in a very... Uh, water-themed service, as well as the baptism. We've got this uh, reading of Jesus encountering the man next to the pool. Um, You will feel a bit further away from me than usual, but I'm not going to get in. Um, I'm going to stay right here. Uh, What we're going to do is pray, and then keep this Bible passage open, page 1068, and uh, then I'll spend some time talking through that and helping us to understand it. So let's bow our heads and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you so much that as we read the pages of the Bible, we are reading not just ancient wisdom, but eternal wisdom, words from beyond our reality, beyond this creation. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. And Lord, I pray that you would open up your words to us by your spirit as you um, help us to read, to understand, and to respond to everything you say. In Jesus' name. It's fantastic to see Kate baptised this morning. And uh, one of the cool things that I know about the Wilson family is that, I don't know if you've kept this tradition up, but you have a tradition on Christmas mornings, Christmas Day, of going down to Hampton Pool, the outdoor pool, and going for a dip before coming to church on Christmas morning. Now, I love Hampton Pool, but I go in the summer. 
I once went, sort of, it was creeping into September, and I thought, that's late enough for me. Um, I am not brave. I am not crazy. Um, the, the pool is heated, but here's how I imagine your experience on Christmas Day. Um, it's so cold that as soon as you start taking your clothes off, you just need to get into the pool, because that's where the heat is. I, I imagine that kind of mad dash uh, to get out of the cold air. Well, 2,000 years ago, there was a similar sort of dash to get into this pool that Jesus was, was visiting. I don't know if you picked that up in the story, this pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. There was this rush to get into the pool for a very different reason. Because um, verse 3 in the passage tells us that uh, a great number of disabled people used to gather there. It says the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. It was a kind of ancient spa pool. Um, we'll see that in a minute. Uh, you'd go there to sort of have a bath and relax and, and feel better. But for some reason, this pool in particular had kind of gained a reputation for being a place you could go and be healed. And uh, when the water was stirring, it says uh, people would sort of rush down to the pool and try to be healed. There's a sort of explanation of that. If you look at the bottom of the page in your Bible, um, there's a little footnote about a verse uh, that was actually added to the Bible after it was written. So that's why it's not in the main section. But it says, um, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would calm down and stir the waters the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, look, that verse was not part of the Bible as it was written. It was added later, which is why it's in the footnotes. But maybe it shows what people believed, um, that an angel came and stirred the water and then you could be healed if you were the first in. Or maybe it was just a sort of superstitious belief that had come up about a, a natural spring. Now, we'll come back to that because... I want to tell you something about this pool, um, which is quite, uh, quite cool and interesting, before we get to this encounter with Jesus. Um, we can see a picture, hopefully, of the kind of pool that it would have been. Um, let's see if we can get this up. This is not the one. This, if you might be familiar, this is the one in Bath, uh, the Roman uh, spa in Bath. You can see the columns going all around. That's the kind of covered colonnade that there would have been. Uh, that's mentioned there in verse 2, surrounded by covered colonnades. Um, now, here's the problem. Back in the 1800s, a lot of scholars who were looking at the Bible, um, it became very fashionable for them to start saying, do you know what? The Bible is not reliable historically. It doesn't have good information about geography and places and, and, and things that were there. It was sort of compiled later and people didn't really know what they were talking about. And they said, there's no evidence for this kind of pool in Jerusalem, especially not where verse 2 says it was, near the Sheep Gate. And they said, what is this about five covered colonnades? Five? A pentagon? What was it? They said, this is silly. They didn't do that architecturally in those days. And so it was very, very fashionable to, to use this, along with a bunch of other things, to say, you can't believe what the Bible says about history and archaeology. Uh, that was until 1888, a German architect with the brilliant name Konrad Schick. Uh, we've got a picture, I think. Can we see Konrad Schick, the guy on the right with the excellent beard and the hat? What, I don't know what that is. Um, 
He was in Jerusalem. He was an architect and an archaeologist, and he was digging around to see what was there. And he discovered a huge ancient pool exactly where John 5 says it was, near the Sheep Gate. And so we've got a, a picture here, some of the steps going down, if we can see that. Um, so you can imagine, that could have been where Jesus encountered this man, on those very steps, going down into the pool. Uh, there's another picture, sort of with a bit of a bigger view of it, uh, towards the steps down right at the back. You can see how big it was. And they solved the problem of the five colonnades. Um, you know how in Hampton Pool... You've got two, two rectangular pools next to each other and a sort of walkway between the two. That was like that. Two rectangular pools next to each other. So colonnades went one, two, three, four around the whole thing and then another one across the middle between the two pools. Five. So isn't that... Yeah, I love that kind of thing. When every, people were sceptical and then people dig it up and go, actually, the Bible was right. That's extraordinary. Um, You'll find that over and over and over again, actually. If people tell you you can't trust the Bible on history, geography, details, things like that, let me urge you to do a bit more reading, a bit more thinking, because over and over again, the Bible's history has been proved to be incredibly reliable. Anyway, I like that kind of stuff. I hope that's helpful to uh, explain to you. Let's get to Jesus' encounter with this man at the pool. This poor guy... I mean, goodness me, he is broken. He is helpless in so many ways, isn't he? Um, On your handout, let's run through his problems. Let's run through the brokenness of this desperate man. He was physically broken. And this is the most obvious thing. And verse 5 says, this guy had been disabled for 38 years. We've no idea whether he was 38 years old and this had been something he was born with or whether some disease or some injury had happened and uh, made him like this. 38 years, I mean, that is a, that is a long time, especially 2,000 years ago, no modern health care. Uh, to be unable to, to walk, to, to move at all, really, that long ago, it's extraordinary that he'd lived this long. Um, and there's that horrible word in verse 5, invalid. Uh, we're, we're rightly sort of revising our language often about people with disabilities. Invalid is a horrible word, isn't it? Invalid, invalid. So he's physically broken in a desperate, desperate way. Relationally abandoned. One of the saddest things that this man says uh, is in verse 7. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. This man seems to be desperately alone. Uh, He's relationally abandoned. Whatever family he had, whatever friends he might once have had, they're nowhere to be seen. He's on his own. He's got no help from anyone at all. Emotionally despairing. When Jesus asked him in verse 6, do you want to get well? He can't even bring himself to say yes. He just complains about not being able to get to the pool. He seems to have just given up. His mental state is one of despair and resignation. We can understand that, can't we? Um, Suffering so much. Spiritually ignorant. Got to add that in. People far and wide by this point were hearing about Jesus 
uh, listening to him, following him, trusting him. When you watch Jesus encountering people in the Gospels, most of them have sort of heard of him because his fame had spread so much. But this man's life is so shut down that there's not even a flicker of recognition. There's no realization that the person talking to him is, is somebody amazing with extraordinary power. That's probably why he doesn't ask for healing, another reason why he doesn't. And you can see it later on in verse uh, 12 when the authorities encountered him. Now, I mean, can you imagine? You've been healed after 38 years of not being able to walk, and you're walking along the road. This is amazing. I'm healed. And then the religious authorities find you, and all they can say is, you're not allowed to carry your mat on a Saturday. Come on. Come on. We'll talk about the Sabbath stuff next week, because that conversation opens up uh, in the rest of chapter 5. But uh, he tells them in verse 13, he's got no idea who it was that healed him. So spiritually speaking, this man's got no idea about Jesus. He's clinging to this superstition about the pool. He's got no idea what he needs from Jesus. And then the last thing, inwardly sinful. At the end of the passage, Jesus identifies a need that is deeper than all of the others. I don't know if you felt slightly unsettled by the last thing Jesus says to him in verse 14. It says, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. Which seems blunt. Seems to puncture the joy of the healing a little bit, doesn't it? I don't think Jesus is just being mean and, uh, 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 and threatening. I think Jesus is saying this out of compassion. He wants the guy to be healed on the inside, not just on the outside. But Jesus doesn't always say this kind of thing to people. A few chapters later, Jesus healed a blind man and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned that he was born blind. It's not saying he was sinless, but uh, his sin was not this sort of key contributor to what happened. So maybe it was in this man's case. We don't know. But for this man by the pool, Jesus can see into his heart. He's concerned by what he sees. And we don't know what Jesus saw in this man's heart. Um, but he, he seems to have seen something dangerous, something that would get this man in trouble, something, uh, perhaps a hardness, perhaps an instinct to push God away, even after being healed so dramatically. This man has some kind of sinful attitude that only Jesus can see, um, but it's there. And the man needs rescuing from that as well. Now, when you look at that little list of things, um, these things that, that, that mark this particular man's brokenness, um, they can feel distant and extreme. I mean, he was going through something horrific. And his situation was, in that sense, unique and, and obviously helpless. But maybe some of these things click a little bit with us as well. Physically broken, relationally abandoned, emotionally despairing, spiritually ignorant, inwardly sinful. Is this, could this be, in a sense, all of us as well? I want to quickly run through them again because I think this is not just about Jesus, how Jesus comes to this particular man. I think this tells us a lot about how Jesus comes to each one of us. Think about these five things then. Physically broken. Well, we're all 
fragile. Maybe you know of minor things or major things that are a concern with your own body or your health. Some of you may feel very fit and healthy and not be thinking about any of those things. Well, lucky you. Uh, Dare I say, for now. (laughs) Um, If we're going to be brutally honest, that doesn't last a lifetime. Whether whether we break physically slowly or quickly, we do. Maybe we're not as different to this very broken man as we think. Relationally abandoned, maybe maybe we've got great friends and family around us, maybe not. Um, It's unlikely that we're feeling as alone and as abandoned as this man was. And yet we've got to admit, look at the news, look at the internet, look at relationships in our world today. There is something badly broken about human relationships, isn't there? The shocking divisiveness of our politics, whether in this country or or around the world. The shocking sort of vitriol of online conversation. Uh, Our speaker at the the day away yesterday, John T, was saying that rarely has the world felt as fractured and as fragile as it does now. Friendship can be hard to come by and hard to maintain. Families struggle to stay together. The stats are, are not good. Our relationships they're not what they should be. Relationally, we're, we're also broken. Emotionally despairing. Again, there'll be a massive mix of experiences in, in this room. Some of us will have robust and optimistic characters. Others will not, and that will be a real struggle. But humanity today does seem to be walking into a kind of mental health crisis, doesn't it? Um, as we look at the world again. Um, a global population increasingly addicted to our screens. Doom scrolling is the word um, for what we've coined for it. Uh, A world that's panicking about the future, about war or crime or the environment or the struggle to just to find meaning and purpose in life. Emotionally, we can be very broken too. Spiritually ignorant, is that us as well? Well, a couple of generations ago, many people in this country would have been able to tell you the basics about Jesus, even if they didn't believe in him at all. And there was a recognition in some sense that Jesus' teachings had had been the foundation for our ethics. Why is it that we believe human beings are equal and to be treated equally? Really dig into it, and it's because the Bible taught us that we're made in the image of God, not because we figured that out for ourselves. We didn't. Why is it that we think showing compassion for the needy is a good thing? We'll dig into the history of it. It's not because we figured that out for ourselves. It's because Jesus showed us the way and did that for us. He gradually overturned the kind of status and power-hungry cultures that trod on the weak uh, uh, that went before him. There was perhaps an understanding a couple of generations ago that Christianity is fundamentally different from any other belief system out there because it's not about what you and I can do to impress God and save ourselves. It's the opposite of that. It's what Jesus has done for us. And people a few generations ago sort of got that, but these things all seem to have been forgotten. 
Isn't Christianity just another religion like the others? There's nothing unique about it, is there? Um, We've all figured out these ethics, haven't we? These things are being forgotten. Spiritual ignorance. And then inwardly sinful. Uh, This is, in many ways, the key thing. It sounds like the most offensive thing Jesus says in the passage. But it is what the Bible says is true of every single one of us. So by saying this to Jesus, he's not saying to this man, you're uniquely sinful. He's saying this, this, like everyone else, is a deep problem that you have. The whole story of the Bible is an account of how God made us. And then, um, uh, even though he deeply loves us and we find our, our greatest purpose in him and satisfaction in him because that's what we're made for... Every single human being has walked away from him. That is the Bible's uh, story of us and its diagnosis of all of our problems. In a sense, that, that is the big problem that underlies everything else. If you want to know what Jesus would say is your deepest problem, whatever your other problems are in life, it is this one thing, this thing called sin, where every single human being on the planet, me, you, everyone, has turned away from God. And everything else is a symptom of that. That is why Jesus comes back to find this healed guy after he's been healed and and he's able to, to walk. He doesn't just want to heal him on the outside. He doesn't just want to fix up our lives on the outside, giving us better health, better relationships, better mental health. Jesus wants to heal us deep inside save us from the the deepest problem that every single one of us has that is why he came that is why jesus died on the cross that's what it's all about him enabling us to be brought back into relationship with god forgiven and drawn back into eternal life and into god's kingdom forever we can sometimes think jesus is is a, a sort of well-being option. <laughs> There's a lot of well-being options in our world, aren't there? Uh, it's a massive industry um, offering well-being and wholeness uh, to broken people. And, and some of it can be very, very helpful, dealing with the symptoms of brokenness. But it's tempting to think, if I can get enough help with my brokenness, if I can get enough medical care or therapy or relational guidance or life counselling or whatever it is I need for those symptoms then I'll, I'll be all right. I'll get rid of my brokenness. But if we just do that, then we're missing the real problem, the really deep underlying problem. Our brokenness is, is deeper than all of those things. And what Jesus is offering is not just a kind of physical well-being or temporary well-being, but eternal well-being. When he comes to say to this man, do you want to get well? My goodness, we've got no idea how big that wellness is that Jesus is offering. That is why so many of us have come to Jesus, why Kate has come to Jesus, why there's actually quite a new openness to Jesus in this country at the moment. Lots of churches are beginning to just report that people, people want to talk about it again. People are coming back and just sort of saying, is there something in this Jesus thing? That could be a really wonderful development in our culture. You might think, 
if you know Kate. What does Kate need with Jesus? She's the super talented head girl at Waldegrave School. Can we hear it for Waldegrave School? I'm sure there's a few here this morning. Um, we might be capable and impressive in all sorts of ways. Those are all amazing gifts of God. But we are also broken. And I think only the Bible really explains that combination. We are wonderful and capable of amazing things because God has made us in his image. But we're also broken and desperately damaged because we've run away from him. That, that combination of human brilliance and brokenness, I think this is where we find why that is the case and how it can be fixed. So in our last couple of minutes, I want to look at Jesus and how he responds to this broken man, because it shows how he responds to us as well. Um, three really quick things. I want us to see Jesus' compassion for this man, his initiative that he takes talking to this man, and his insight into this man's deepest needs. So Jesus' compassion. I mean, Jesus is just wonderfully drawn to this man. He seems particularly interested in the, the length of this man's suffering, particularly compassionate towards that. There's a lot of people at the pool. Jesus wants to talk to this guy. That's a lovely thing, isn't it? Jesus' compassion for the broken is mentioned again and again and again uh, as you read the Gospels about him. And this is one of the really surprising and wonderful things about him. What would you think would happen if God becomes a human being and steps into this world? Would he not come to seek out the impressive people to recruit for his team, the gifted people, the people who make him look good. Um, Jesus comes and goes to the weak and the poor and the broken and the needy and the people who might make him look bad. I was hearing the other day about somebody who said, why is the Bible so full of bad examples? <laughs> I don't know if you ever thought of that. Uh, you look for heroes in the Bible, you find Noah getting drunk and cursing his, his, his children, Abraham lying about his wife, Jacob cheating on his uh, brother, David having killed somebody in order to cover up an affair, Peter denying that he knew Jesus, and on and on and on. And Aren't these our spiritual heroes? What's going on? And this person said, surely the Bible should be full of great examples for us to, to follow and be like, and most of them seem to be terrible. And this person then had it explained to them that they'd completely missed the point of the Bible. The Bible isn't there, first and foremost, to set us an example, although it does do that as well. It's there to bring a rescue. Jesus came to bring a rescue. He's unlike anyone else in any other religious system. He's so much more than a teacher or a guru or a, a prophet. He's a saviour. Jesus came to save. He didn't come to find the impressive ones amongst us and approve of those ones. He came with great compassion to save the lost. And if you really understand yourself, you know that you're one of those. Now, if you've seen this morning how, despite appearances, despite the capable and self-sufficient fronts we might all express, we're actually very similar to this guy in his brokenness. 
then Jesus' compassion will feel like a wonderful thing, something we desperately need. So his compassion is wonderful. His insight. Jesus knew this man, as we've seen, not just on the outside, but on the inside. He could see the obvious problems. He could see the disability. He could see the despair. But Jesus didn't just want to deal with that because he knew what was underneath it all. Jesus knows this man and he knows you. He knows me. I don't know if you ever thought about this. God can see all of your problems. God can see all of your thoughts. Not just what you do and say on the surface, but everything you think and feel within. God can see all of that. He knows all about your inner struggles, your insecurities, your joys, your sorrows. He knows your happiest thoughts and your darkest thoughts as well. He knows it all. He knows what you've never told anyone else. He knows your deepest problems and your deepest needs. Are you willing to listen to Jesus' insight about you? Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. I don't know if you think that's scary. (laughs) Being known inside and out. Everything I've ever thought. Everything I've ever felt. That can feel really scary. But also wonderful if somebody really understands you. Really gets you. In a way that no one else does. Gets you more than you get yourself. um, And still wants to pour out his love and compassion and his rescue on you. That's a wonderful thing. It does mean he knows the deepest problem of our heart, this sin, this pushing away of God, and he came to deal with it. So the final thing, Jesus' compassion, his insight, Jesus' initiative. Did you notice this poor man at the pool? He never asked Jesus for anything. Didn't even figure out who Jesus was until long afterwards. The one thing he thought he needed was just somebody to give him a hand into the pool. And Jesus didn't even do that. The guy didn't need this magic water or or, or non-magic water or whatever it was in that pool. He needed the water, uh, metaphorically speaking, of Jesus. So Jesus took the initiative and asked the man what he needed without being asked. And he said, do you want to get well? And... uh, Is there a chance that Jesus is saying the same thing to you today? And maybe you've never thought about Jesus at all. Maybe you've never thought to ask anything of him. Maybe you've never seen why it would be worth asking anything of Jesus. But that's okay, because Jesus takes the initiative. What if Jesus is asking every single one of us this morning, right now, Do you want to be well? Do you want to get well? Not just the little things on the outside. Um, Do you want Jesus to deal with your physical brokenness, relational abandonment, emotional despair, spiritual ignorance, inward sin? Jesus is asking you that, even if you're not asking him. Do you want Jesus to make you well? Not well just for a little while, not just well in just little ways, but well eternally. Well, forever, in every possible sense. Because he stands ready to rescue you. 
He wants to. He's taken the initiative to send Jesus into the world to die for our sins. He's taken the initiative to put Bibles and churches all around, around the world so people can hear his invitation. Um, and, and this message can go out to everyone. Do you want to get well? So do you. Um, are you willing for Jesus to speak to you and tell you about yourself and get involved in your life and show you how he can rescue you from the brokenness of this world for an eternity of well-being. He's ready to do that for every one of us if we're listening to him. His healing of this man on the outside proves that he can heal us in every sense. Come to Jesus with every bit of your brokenness all of your needs and the ones you didn't even know about. And he is the one who really understands. And he is the only one who can really, really help. So let's pray before the kids get too noisy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so, so much for these amazing things about Jesus. Thank you so much for his compassion for the broken. Thank you so much for his insight into our lives, our real lives, the genuine things, the, the reality of, of our problems, the deepest things. And thank you, Lord, that you've taken this incredible initiative to send Jesus to die for us, to rescue us, to bring us back to where we belong in relationship with you forever. Lord, if we've never encountered these things, if we've never given much thought to these things, or if we've sort of prematurely written them off, I pray that you would give us time and space and, and, and motivation and inclination to really listen to Jesus, to come back, to hear more, uh, to respond to him and receive this incredible gift of everlasting well-being that he longs to lavish on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.